Well, hey there again, everyone. Uh, It's good to be together this weekend. And uh, we are finishing up this series called Sacrilege this weekend. And so thanks for uh, being here or tuning in online. Or if uh, you're over at Montrose, thank you so much uh, for being there. And uh, if you've missed any of the the kind of the conversations uh, in this series, you can find those on the app or online. Uh, It's been interesting. We've kind of been looking at just a few of the moments where uh, Jesus pushes back kind of on the uh, religious uh, scope of the day and uh, ways that kind of the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion had been distorted, mostly by the leaders, kind of some of the common perceptions of the day. And uh, it's been interesting to see how Jesus sees those things as barriers to God himself. And so uh, when he comes and he begins his ministry, he starts by pushing back on people's expectations and assumptions about um, how they get to God and about uh, how the system works. And uh, it, it definitely ruffles some feathers um, in, the, in kind of the context he finds himself in. And so we've only looked at a few of those. We've looked at him like flipping tables in the temple. Uh, we've looked at uh, the Sabbath and, and kind of how people uh, viewed how it should be treated, this kind of 24-hour period of rest and all the rules that got established around it and how Jesus reminds us what the Sabbath was made for. And then uh, last week we talked about their perception of uh, the Samaritans, kind of these socially and religiously uh, mixed group of people and uh, the way that they pursued pursued and uh, looked at how they needed God and how they treated them. And so Jesus is pushing back on all that. And this week we're going to look at uh, one more uh, moment very early in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And uh, it's going to be here in Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. And so uh, if you downloaded the app, it'll be right there in the notes. You just go to this week. Um, if you brought your Bible, uh, open up to Mark 2, or maybe you have an app on your phone. But we're going to read through this today and kind of look at this, uh, what Jesus is showing us about these barriers and uh, how he's going to address that here in this moment. And so uh, Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, reads this way. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. It's sacrilegious. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, explaining We've never seen anything like this before. 
And so this is a very uh, unique situation. I mean, can you imagine what's actually happening here? Uh, like, here I am preaching, and it's just like a normal weekend here at Grace Church, and all of a sudden, like, the roof starts to cave in. <laughs> and um, that's, so Jesus here, he's began his ministry, and uh, he's back home. And uh, people know that he's been teaching. They're, they've been uh, amazed at what he's been saying. They also know that he's uh, healed some people. He's, he's done some miracles. And so he's back in his hometown, and a large crowd, like, begins to gather in this home, so much so that, like, it's packed all the way outside the door. And these friends come, uh, th- these four men bringing their friend who's paralyzed, and they can't get to Jesus. And so they climb up, they find a way up on the roof, and back in, like, ancient Israel, a roof would be basically just a dirt <laughs> and branches. And it would be, sometimes I read, like, two feet deep of, like, just soil and earth. <laughs> and that's how they would create roofs in the ancient world. And um, so they get up on top of here, and they start to, like, dig through it in the middle of Jesus' sermon. And so I'm sure, like, someone <laughs> begins to notice that, like, something's falling, and all of a sudden it begins to, like, really begin to fall on them. And Jesus is like, my sermon's over. Like, it's totally interrupted. <laughs> and uh, what do you do at that point? You're just like, all right, go ahead and finish whatever's going on. Do, like, do people leave? And uh, they, they make enough room so that they can lower their friend down right <laughs> in front of Jesus and where he's teaching. And so what does Jesus decide to do in that moment? Like, no one says anything, at least not recorded in the story. And it's obvious that these, like, friends are there to see their friend be healed. But Jesus does something really odd. He, he doesn't say, I'm going to heal you now. <laughs> he says, my child, your sins are forgiven, which is really weird. Um, that's like, if you just like follow along the story, that's not what you expect. You expect him, ex- expect him to address like maybe the hole in the roof or uh, this man who's paralyzed and, or at least like the reality that he's paralyzed. And instead, what he says is your sins are forgiven. And I want to sit on that for a minute because I think that's a really important part of this moment. Jesus doesn't do that in every instance where he heals. So this is like unique to this story, and I think it's unique for a reason. And so there's a couple observations I want to make about that, and then I kind of want to explain uh, how we can let that reality be pressed deeper into our life. And so here's uh, one of the things that I think that this means. One thing I think that Jesus is showing is that our need for Christ is greater than we expect. It's greater than we expect. So all of us come to Jesus, like you're here uh, in the room this weekend, or you're online, or over at Montrose, and you're here uh, seeking out Jesus in some way, for some reason. There's some kind of initial need. There's, so, there's something that has brought you here. And like, when I began kind of seeking Jesus and began trying to figure out what he meant for my life, I came with like a lot of my own reasons, a lot of my own needs. Like I felt alone. I felt Uh, purposeless. I felt really insecure. And so like when I'm coming to Jesus, like what I'm looking for is like, Jesus, can you like meet this need? Can you like help me not be alone? Can you like give me someone who cares? Or or, like my insecurity, I'm like, Jesus, can you just like make me feel better about myself because I feel so bad about myself? Or, Or Jesus, like I feel purposeless. I feel lost. Like can you just like tell me what to do? Can you like point my life in the right direction and kind of like map it all out for me? 
And that's just like, that's just like my reasons. That, that was like kind of the initial felt need of like why I began looking for Jesus. And, and you had a reason or have a reason, an initial need, initial reason of why you reach out to him, why you begin seeking him. And it's just like this paralyzed man, he comes with a need. It's interesting, as I was trying to understand the significance of this, I, I came across this, uh, what one commentator said. He said, you may think that the pain and suffering you face is the greatest need in your life, but it is actually the dismal condition of your heart. And that's what Jesus actually exposes in this moment. There's a real need. There's real pain. There's real suffering. He's not belittling that, but he's choosing to address an issue of the heart. He's choosing to address a deeper need. He's choosing to say that the, the, the most important thing that you need isn't just relief from the pain and suffering you face, maybe daily, but you need to be restored to God. And I think that that's hard for us to understand. It can even be hard maybe like uh, for that paralyzed man is like, well, I'd really like to be able to walk. Like that's the need I feel like I need met right now. That's why I came that's why I showed up here. And uh, it's hard for us if, if Jesus is saying the most weighty thing in your life is the eternal. It's the heart. It's the condition of your soul. It's sometimes hard to, to understand how, like how he sees that, the, the weight he sees in that. Uh, for instance, like when I became a car owner, um, I didn't know anything about cars. And so uh, kind of what I settled into was I was just going to, uh, let every ding, every crack, kind of every stain happen. Like, it's just a car. I wasn't going to invest money into it. And for some reason, um, I had like a skepticism of mechanics and like what they were telling me my, my car like needed. And I just kind of had this like subtle, like they're going to overcharge me. They're going to like make me replace like air filters that don't exist. Like I'm just like really nervous to like go take my car. And that probably fed some of the like, I'm just going to let it go because like I don't understand it. And it like probably doesn't matter. And, and so eventually like your car needs actual things done to it. Like you try, to hit, you try to hit the gas and it doesn't go forward. <laughs> or it's like making a loud noise and you're like, something I think is wrong. And so you end up at the mechanic. And for me, it's just so painful. And I'm like, no, I don't really think I want that done. Uh, no, let's not do that. They're like, do you have a crack in your windshield? I'm like, I know, I like it that way. They're like, it doesn't have any air conditioning. I'm like, I know, I just like roll the windows down. They're like, the windows don't roll down. I'm like, I know, I just, you know. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, there was a time I remember where a mechanic was trying to say, you need to have this ball joint replaced. And I'm like, well, what, like, is it? How important is it? And I was trying to, I was trying to like, push it off. I'm like, I don't think I, I really need that. And he kind of just looked at me for a second. He's like, if this ball joint breaks, your wheel will come off the car. <laughs> and I was like, well, then we should fix that. I really don't want to, like, figure out uh, if I'm right or wrong. And so uh, he... He knew more about cars than I did, and I have since learned that uh, he wasn't just uh, pulling it over me. He was correct. And so anytime the mechanic's like, you need that ball joint replaced, I was like, replace all of them. Replace all the ball joints. Um, because he knew. Like, he was a mechanic. He understood the need. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I know. Like, God created you. He knows you. He knows the inner workings of everything about you. And he's saying, I actually know what you need because I made you. I'm the most knowledgeable person of you. <laughs> I know how you work. I know how you tick. I know what you need. And it can be hard when we, when we feel like there's something else that Christ is missing. 
but he knows us, and he sees us, and, he, and he's revealing that in a unique way. There's another observation uh, we should make about this moment, uh, because we've been in the series Sacrilege, and most of the time Jesus is pushing back against like what the religious leaders turned uh, following God into. Right? They like twisted the Sabbath and they like set up these, uh, these tables to, uh, in the temple and uh, they uh, you know, hated this group of people and what they had made it into. Well, Jesus is going to do something sacrilegious um, that goes against what God had established. And unless he's God, this is gonna be a really big deal. And so let's kind of look back at this and examine it. So he says, seeing their faith, the four men and the paralyzed man, Jesus says to him, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what did he just say? What is he saying? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. That's not something they made up. (laughs) Like, if someone does something wrong against you, you don't want someone else going around saying, oh, it's not a big deal, they forgive you. If there's something that's been an offense or a failure between us and God, the only person who can forgive that sin is God himself. And so what he's saying is sacrilegious, unless, unless he's God. And so now we begin to see a little bit of why Jesus is taking this moment. He's trying to reveal something about himself because he continues. He says, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? What's easier to say? Well, in one sense, like, I guess it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't really prove it or not prove it. But I don't, I don't think that's what the point is here. What Jesus is trying to say is like, both are difficult like, you, chan- you can't just go around forgiving sin on behalf of God unless you're God. And no one goes around healing paralyzed people. And so actually, I think the point is to say both are difficult. But I'm going to choose in this moment to display something about myself so you'll believe me for the second. And so actually what he shows us here, he shows us that the authority of Christ is greater than we expect. He's showing that his authority is different than what we initially perceive. So that's a weird word. We don't like the word authority because usually we, we see it in all the wrong ways. Like when we hear the word authority, we hear like control. We hear like power struggle. We hear like manipulation and dominance. Like that, that's not like why Jesus is plugging in. I have the, to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He's not trying to show that he's dominating and controlling. He's trying to show that he has the authority and the sense of ability. He has the powerful ability. He can intervene. He can do something about it. He has the authority. He is within his domain. They're kind of like, Jesus, stay in your lane. And he's like, I'm in my lane. I'm in my lane. And what Jesus does here is he kind of validates that authority in the moment. What's harder to do, to say your sins are forgiven or to tell this paralyzed man to stand up and walk? It'd be kind of like me saying, what's harder for me to do, guys? Uh, To give you, one of you guys today, one of you lucky winners (laughs) gets a million dollar check. I'm gonna send you home with a million dollar check signed from me. Um, Just so you know, I'm a pastor 
and I get paid like a pastor. Um, so you're like, I don't, and, and I'm like 29, so um, I don't think he has the million dollars. So like I could give you that check and you could take it home, you could take it to the bank and cash it, and I guarantee you it's gonna bounce. <laughs> But if someone came up here, you know, and I was like, I'm going to invite my friend up here, and today they're going to give away a million-dollar check, and you're all excited, and like the, you know, Wheel of Fortune music starts playing, you're like, or whatever, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. It's a big deal, and he brings up a briefcase, and all of a sudden he like puts it on the table and opens it up and is like, here's a million dollars. You're like, I bet that guy's check is good, way better than Pastor Josh's check, you know? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's making a promise to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to do this. I can't prove that right now in this moment. That's not how it works. But to prove that promise, he evidences by showing his ability to heal the paralyzed man. And so it's kind of a bonus. Like he's, he's not just healing because that's the message of Jesus. He heals every sickness and disease. He's using this to display his ability, his authority to meet the deeper need of our soul. I think I get really concerned about these moments where Jesus talks about forgiveness because I'm afraid we'll interpret Jesus as kind of like his his version of forgiveness is cheap. Like Jesus just goes around forgiving sins. See, it's not a big deal to God. That's That is not what Jesus is trying to display, that sin isn't a big deal. Like any time sin and the effect of it in our life is talked about in the Bible, the words that are used to describe it are death, like destruction. It destroys us. And so what Jesus Jesus isn't like being a pushover and saying, hey, sin's not a big deal to God. He's saying, this is a big deal. Like it's radical for your sins to be forgiven. And I'm gonna evidence that authority right now in this moment as I heal this paralyzed man. And ultimately, you wanna like play the story all the way out, when Jesus goes to the cross and through his death and through his resurrection, that's the ultimate proof and the ultimate authority. And he shows that he's gonna put sin and death to death and he's gonna bring life to death and it's done. And it belongs to him. And he proves the authority to the max. And so those are two really big observations you have to make when Jesus is talking about forgiveness is like our need is deeper, it's greater, and his authority is greater than we originally expect. And that's what happens to these these four friends and the paralyzed man is they kind of get to be an illustration. And all of a sudden, everyone there gets to see this reality They get more than what they bargained for. Jesus chooses to reveal himself in ways beyond what they expected. So what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that? I wrote this down, that Christ's authority to forgive sin should compel us. It should motivate us to deeper understand our need and what it means to fully receive him. See, I think it can be difficult to understand what the motivation should be, especially if religion is what you have in mind, to like deeper understand that and deeper pursue that and deeper become like a religious person or a Jesus freak or something. But like if if what Jesus is doing is he's revealing your need and showing you how he wants to meet it, 
that he has the authority to meet it, that he has the ability to meet it. All of a sudden, that should be very compelling that someone has that power and ability and they see you and they're interested in you and they, they want to meet you in that mess. I wrote this down. I said, your experience of God's grace and forgiveness will be directly affected by your understanding of your own need and who Jesus really is. Your ability to experience and accept the grace and forgiveness that Jesus wants to give you, it's gonna be determined by how much you understand your need for him. It's gonna be determined by who you think Jesus really is. That's a weighty statement because if you're like me, I struggle all the time to more deeply experience who Jesus is, to more deeply understand my need, uh, to see that grace and forgiveness actually change me. Like I feel like the same screw up most of the time. (laughs) And what's important to understand is Jesus isn't trying to say it should be easy. I mean, it does take time. It takes effort. It's uh, play out the, the rest of the New Testament and how people begin to follow Jesus, like his disciples were a work in progress. He understands that it takes time. He, he understands that it's something we're gonna have to grow in. We're gonna have to increase in our understanding. And Jesus is okay with that. He actually wants you to grow. He actually wants you to, it to be gradual and for you to commit to the process. And so I, I would love for us to take a minute today just to consider what does it look like to actually grow in that? What does it look like to grow in the gospel? And I'll unpack what that means a little bit, but uh, I wanted to use just this little illustration to show you what that means. And so in one sense, in one direction, we should always be growing in awareness of God's ways and his holiness. Holiness is just a church word that means God's perfection, that he's perfect, his ways are perfect, his word is perfect, his character is perfect, his will is perfect. And it's not that God himself changes, it's that our awareness begins to increase in those things, right? In Isaiah 55, it says that God says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As far as the heaven is from the earth, so my ways and thoughts are. Like, they're, they're so vastly above you, and that's not to belittle you. That's for you to begin to increase in your awareness of God's ways and his holiness, his perfection. It's, it's far out of reach, and it would take an entire life to even begin to move closer to understanding who he really is. And I wrote this down. What are ways that actually get in the way of us growing in that awareness. One way I wrote down was creating a version of God that meets my desires and expectations. Having a lesser view of God because I'm so boxed in by what I want him to be, by who I think he should be. And so I miss out on who he actually is because he's a God shaped in my mind and my preferences. Another way we lack in growing in that awareness is sometimes we try to earn God's favor. We try to impress him with our right living, with our performance for him. 
And so we think that if we figure the system out enough that he'll be pleased with us. And so we exchange uh, actually knowing him for doing what we think he wants us to do. And we let that be the measure of our closeness or understanding of who God is. One other way that I'm really tempted to not grow in this awareness is by looking too closely at other people in the world around me to make sense of life. Sometimes I don't actually want to understand who he is more. I just get like so fixated on everything that happens around me and what people are saying and how they're perceiving me and how I'm doing and all of a sudden all that fear sets in and all that pride sets in. And I'm more focused on what's going on around me instead of deeper understanding who he is. And so there's a trajectory there. That's like one part of this. We gotta actually like grow in our awareness of who God is, his ways, his holiness, his character, his perfection. Another thing that we have to increase or grow in awareness of is our own heart and sinfulness. Again, sinfulness, church word for our imperfection. If holiness is God's perfection, our sinfulness is our imperfection. It's the reality that we all fail. (laughs) We're all broken, nobody's perfect, and the heart the Bible would say, is the place where all of our life comes from. It's where every decision and action and attitude is birthed. And so it's the, it's the place of deeper need. In Jeremiah 17, it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I, the Lord, search all hearts and I examine all secret motives. That's not a big brother verse. It's again, helping us see that like he actually actually knows the things that no one else knows about you. When you're feeling like you're not self-aware and like you're like, I don't even know what's going on in my heart. I just know that it's bad. (laughs) Jesus is like, I actually know that. I actually know the root of that. I actually know what's underneath it. And he's not there to shame us or to beat us over the head. He's there to reveal it. He's there to to show you that he cares for you so deeply, he wants you to understand it. I also wrote down things that get in the way of growing an awareness of our own heart and sinfulness. One thing I wrote down is being unwilling to live in honest relationships and community. It's easier just to hide or fake it. And I'm not just saying that as the life group pastor. (laughs) But I do see that. Like I, I, I wrestle through community and honest relationships all the time. And sometimes it's easy to just be dishonest. It doesn't actually help us grow in our awareness of our need, of our heart, of our brokenness. Another thing I wrote down is that we can make excuses, we can downplay, downplay we can blame others for our own sin, our own failures, our own weaknesses, our own struggles. We kind of push it off. Right? We have an excuse. It's really their fault. It's not that bad. And so we don't let ourselves feel the depth of our need. And then another thing I wrote down is that I can think of myself better than I actually am. <laughs> like I, I do this one. This, I always put the last one, the one that I actually really struggle with. <laughs> I like create a sense of false righteousness. Because I work hard, right God? 
Like, I'm not that bad. Because, like, my home life is better than that person's home life, it's not that bad, God. Like, because um, I'm not in as much debt as that person, because, like, I can manage my life better, because I'm more caring, because I'm more tolerant, because I'm, you know, I, I don't do whatever, fill in the blank, all of a sudden, like, I could begin to measure, like, how deep my need is based upon a false sense of righteousness, And these are the things that prevent us in actually seeing God and seeing ourselves the way they actually are. So what do we do with that? Well, we need to see God and ourselves for who we actually are. And what you'll begin to notice here is there's a gap. And that gap needs to be met. It's our need. Like when we talk about how deep your need is for Christ, Jesus looks at that and he says, I wanna step in the gap. I have the authority, I have the ability to overcome that gap. And that is what it means to become a Christian, <laughs> by the way, a follower of Jesus, is the first time you're able to see God for who he really is, and you're able to see yourself for who you really are, and Jesus steps into that moment and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the good news. I have come to bridge that gap for you. I have come to create security and assurance and life for you. And he, he does that. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's done that for you. And it's, it's amazing the moment he does that, like when, when that begins to come real. And maybe, maybe like you're there today and, and you're like, that's like what I need. <laughs> I need him to do that. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you begin to notice something else about this chart, right? It seems like the gap keeps getting bigger. <laughs> like if you're doing the Christian life right, if you're doing life right, seeing God for who he is, seeing yourself for who you really are, what you're gonna actually notice, and this is the most uncomfortable thing I think I could say on the stage, is that it's just gonna feel worse over time in some ways. Like, it actually doesn't get easier, and it's not that you become a more horrible person or God changes who he is. It's just that you begin to become aware. Wow, I thought, like, that was the problem. I thought, like, the reality that I couldn't walk was, was the issue, and then God called out, like, my heart. He exposed that. And what actually needs to happen? Like if you wanna be someone who continues to experience this kind of growth all throughout your life, what's gonna to have to happen is the cross is gonna to have to become bigger. Jesus himself is gonna to have to step in that gap. He's gonna to have to become bigger than who you thought he was. You're gonna to have to allow him to press in to the reality that you're not honest in community, to the reality that you tend to blame or downplay or make excuses for your brokenness. The fact that you live with a sense of false righteousness and you, you see yourself better than how things actually are. You're gonna have to let him push into how you see God. His, his perfection's gonna have to be revealed. You're gonna have to like trust him in ways that like you didn't want to trust him. And what's gonna have to happen in that process is Jesus is gonna show you he's big enough for that. He can step in the gap still. Even though you only saw him this big, every time that gap gets bigger and bigger, he continues to reveal himself more and more that he has 
the authority, the ability to stand in the gap. And that's why it should compel us. It should motivate us to deeper understand our heart, to deeper understand who God is because we meet Jesus there. Actually, probably a better way to say it is he meets us there. Like we have to keep coming back to who he is. Otherwise, we'll just live with a small vision of who Jesus is. We'll just be like, Jesus is this big and life will happen and life will fall apart. And if we don't allow who Jesus actually is to begin to fill that space, that's why it's so painful. That's why there's turmoil. That's why it's struggle. The Christian life isn't easy. And what this isn't supposed to illustrate for you is that we somehow like get better in life. It's actually that we just get more comfortable with the reality of how much we need Jesus and that he's gonna show up. And so what you need to do is whether on your own or with four friends, need to desperately get to Jesus. Even if it means digging through two feet of earth on top of a roof because he's right there and you need to place yourself before him. And you don't need to come with, this is what I need you to do for me, Jesus. It says that he saw their faith and he forgave their, his sin. You're not interrupting Jesus. You're not bothering him. He's not annoyed that you interrupted the sermon. I would be annoyed. <laughs> You don't need to say anything. He already knows you. He understands you. What you need to do is be present with him in your messiest, most needy form of life you've ever experienced because that is where Jesus wants to meet you the most. He wants to meet you in that. He doesn't want to meet you all cleaned up. He doesn't want to meet you when you have it all together. He doesn't want to meet you when you figured out how to mask your own need or who, how you've performed your way or moved away from who God really is. This is how Jesus actually becomes bigger in your life. So from my experience, I've already said this a little bit, I find this really uncomfortable. <laughs> I find it tremendously exhausting to live with a small view of Christ. And I do it all the time. I continually underestimate my need, his authority, and it's, it's just overwhelming. Like, when you feel like you have to hold it all together because you can't, like, let Christ move into the, the space. Like, you feel discouraged, you feel dissatisfied, you feel discontent, you feel unsettled, you feel fear, you feel overwhelmed, you feel overburdened, you feel anger and frustration and a sense of, like, I just need to make a way, I just need to make a way, I just need to figure it out. I, like, I can't control this, I need to figure this out. And Jesus steps into that moment. And instead of us making a way and us having a solution, he says, I came to remove the barrier. Like I came to make finding God's grace and forgiveness, finding him as accessible as possible for you. I was needing reminded of this early this year and I was drawn back to a passage in Matthew 11. It's actually the only time Jesus tells us 
kind of explicitly what his heart is like. He says, I am gentle and humble of heart. I am gentle and humble of heart. It's actually an invitation passage. Go read it in Matthew 11, 28 through 30 sometime. Come to me. I am gentle and humble of heart. What is most true about Christ in your deepest need is that he is gentle and humble of heart for you. He's gentle. He's not easily exasperated. He's not trigger happy. He's not ready to get you out. He understands you. He's gentle. The most natural position to him is not a pointed finger but open arms. And he's humble or sometimes it's translated lowly. He lowered himself. He made himself accessible to you. Like you can get to him. <laughs> you just dig through the roof. <laughs> he's right there. He's the most approachable person who's ever walked this planet. He's the most accessible person for you to get to. And he wants to meet you in that need. I think that like through the sacrilege series, what you have to remember is like Christ's heart for you. Like in all these moments where he's tearing away barrier after barrier, he's showing you his heart to relentlessly pursue you even in your need and even in your mess. That's his heart for you. And so the only thing like to do after a sermon like this is to reflect on it and, and to come back to Christ or, or just ask yourself, Jesus, have I made you into something you're not? Have I missed you? Like help me see who you really are because I'm having a difficult time. And you may even say, how does my view of you need to increase? How does my understanding of my own need need to deepen? And Jesus is gonna meet you in that, in gentle and humble ways. He's gonna look at you like he looked at that paralyzed man. He's not gonna say, you interrupted me, you bothered me. He's gonna look at you and say, this is what I came for. I came for your deepest need. I'm gonna invite the band out so that we can reflect on this. And I'd like to pray for us as they're moving things around on the stage. Father, thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for sending your son and all of his goodness and all of his authority and all of his power and making him like us, making him into a human being so that we could understand you, so that we could have access to you. And Lord, I, I pray for those of us who are either here or whoever listening like, I think that we know the ways that we've resisted understanding you in deeper ways, the ways we've resisted seeing how desperately we need you. And so we just ask for you to help, God. Help. Like, rescue us if you have the ability, if you see the deeper need, God, we ask that you would protect us and help us to let go of everything that, like, isn't explainable and isn't on your heart right now, God, just like let us put that aside and meet you there. Help us see you for who you really are. And I pray that each of us would deeper experience your grace and forgiveness and the transformation that you want to do in us. 
You are good and you are God. And we look to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.